0: If you'd like to follow along this morning, our, our two passages are both found in the Gospel of John. We're going to spend a little bit of time in John chapter 11 and also in John chapter 20. So if you want to turn to those places, maybe put a bookmark or a finger in one spot so you can flip back and forth, you can do that. We're thrilled to see you guys this morning. I mean, we couldn't have special ordered better weather, could we? Like, this is amazing. We actually came out here last year for the first time, and it was a little cool. It actually started drizzling on us during worship at one point. Um, So we are thrilled to be blessed with some awesome weather this morning. All right, well, we're going to spend just a few minutes reflecting on on three things, three things that we see take place at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then from there, we're going to spend some time together in communion Um, and worship just a little bit more. So three things this morning. Now, to give you a little bit of of backdrop or history, um, in John's gospel, he records one final miracle of Jesus prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. And we find that story in John chapter 11. And so as the story goes, um, Passover is approaching. Jesus is soon gonna be heading into Jerusalem. Jerusalem not only to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, but unbeknownst to everybody else around him, he was going to the cross. And shortly before that, he gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick unto the point of death. And so he hears this, this word, he continues where he is for a little bit, and by the time he starts heading to Lazarus's town in Bethany, he finds out, he gets word that his friend has died. And in fact, he's been in the grave three going on four days now. And so Jesus heads towards Bethany. Um, He speaks with Lazarus, his sisters. He arrives at Lazarus' tomb. And then those famous words, Lazarus, come forth. Anybody heard those before? Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes out of a grave, out of a cave, and comes walking into the light of day. Jesus' last miracle is recorded by John is to bring the dead back to life. I love the beauty of what Jesus is foreshadowing. Not only his, his own resurrection that is to come, but he's foreshadowing what's available to all of us. And I just, I just have to say to you this morning, what Jesus did for Lazarus, he desires to do for each and every one of us. Jesus lives to call the dead back to life. And so the first thing we're going to look at this morning um, is that Jesus rolls back the stone. He rolls back the stone. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, John writes and begins to tell the story of what he experienced that morning when Jesus rose from the grave. And it begins with his friend, Mary Magdalene, who sets out early in the morning hours. We read a little bit of this from Luke's gospel at the start of the service. She sets out in the early morning hours and, and we need to understand something. Mary Magdalene is not heading to the grave expecting to meet Jesus. Even though he'd been telling his followers what was gonna happen. I'm gonna be crucified. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise again three days later. He said it over and over and over again. But, but man, when you're there on Good Friday and you see him on the cross, that, that's hard to believe. That's hard to remember. Remember? when the reality of life is what's in front of us, it's hard to see past that to promises God has spoken. And so here comes Mary Magdalene. She's in sorrow. She's afraid. I mean, they've just killed Jesus because of what he stood for. What might happen to those who followed him closely? Fear, sorrow, grief. And in those early morning hours, she heads to the tomb. And it it tells us in John chapter one, verse two. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. The reality is when the the stone gets rolled away, there's not immediate celebration, there's confusion. There's concern, there's worry. This is unexpected. In fact, the same thing happens at Lazarus' grave just a few short days before. Jesus shows up, he's watching everybody mourning. People have gathered because they're basically about to have a funeral service. And Jesus walks up and stands in front of Lazarus' grave and he says, roll away the stone. Check this out. John chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. I love how practical Martha is here. She's like, Jesus, he's gonna stink. He's been in the grave for four days. Listen, I just have to tell you, we all have our own version of a grave. We all have maybe hopes and dreams that, have, that seem long dead. We've all got stuff in our lives that stinks. Stuff that's, that's rotten, that's, that's hurting us from the inside and it's working its way out. And we can keep those things locked away and hidden. We can feel hopeless at times. And yet Jesus' first desire is to say, roll away the stone. And what I love about Jesus, he's not intimidated by the stuff in our life that scares everybody else off. He's not freaked out by that. He invites us to come as we are. Come with with your death. Come with what's gross and yucky and nasty inside. I'm all right with that. Watch the miracle that I can bring into your life if you'll come as you are. He's not scared by that. He also is not intimidated by hopelessness. He's not defeated by death. Listen, I don't I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're very aware of some, some sin or some struggle or some stuff in your life that you would think would keep you separated from God. Maybe your image of who God is, is a God who's angry and judging and unhappy with you. Maybe you've left him unsatisfied or disappointed. But the reality of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross and risen again is that God is declaring his great love to say, you don't stink. You're not gross. You're not disgusting. I love you. And I want to invite you to new life. And if you feel lost or hopeless or discouraged or defeated, I'm your guy. I love you. This is why I came. For some of us, we might be sitting here this morning going, man, Jake, I, I get this. I've invited him into my life. He's forgiven me. He's given me hope. And, and my, my hope for those of us who sit here like that is that we would have a vision for the people around us that Jesus has. That we wouldn't be too quick to write people off? Is there that person in my life that just, man, they drive me crazy? I'm probably the only one here that has some people in my life like that that drive me crazy. Maybe that's just me. Maybe there's people in my life, they don't drive me crazy. I'm desperate for them to know Jesus, but I've started to feel hopeless. God, I've been, I've been waiting for this person for a long time. I've been, I've been praying, I've been hoping, I've tried to say all the right things, I'm out of words, but God, I'm desperate for that person to be saved. And I just want you to know, Jesus still has hope for them. He believes, he hopes, and he's saying, hey, let's roll away that stone. And so I wanna, I wanna just encourage you this morning, be willing to invest your hope in Jesus be willing one more time to roll back that stone and believe that he can call that person forth, that he can raise that dead dream in your life back to life, that he can heal that deep wound or hurt, that he can forgive that thing inside of that you just feel like, man, he can't forgive that. I mean, I know he can forgive that person, but, but this, this thing, this junk, I've already told him I'm sorry for that thing like 10 times and I'm still doing it and I'm still stuck. He's not grossed out by you. He's not grossed out by your sin. In fact, it's your sin that drew him to come on our behalf to forgive us and to set us free and to offer new life. Let him roll away the stone. Second thing that we see in the story Not just that Jesus rolls back the stone and is willing to face the reality of what's inside, but Jesus is personal. He comes in close. I love how he's standing there at Lazarus's tomb and the stone gets rolled away and he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. He calls him by name. Listen, when Jesus calls your name, there is nothing that can get in the way. Think about this, Lazarus is dead. He's not taking a nap in there. He's dead and gone. Jesus can reach even beyond the grave to call forth Lazarus. I just have to tell you this morning, you are never too far gone to hear Jesus call your name. And the beauty of what he did at Lazarus's grave, the same thing was taking place the morning that Jesus rose again. His disciples are confused. They're scared. We already talked about Mary Magdalene. Shortly after going to rush and get Peter and John and they come back to the grave and they do a little more exploring and they find that he truly is gone. She finds herself standing in that garden weeping. She's not thinking he's alive. She's thinking someone has taken him. She's having a hard time believing the truth that Jesus has risen again. And what changes it for her is a personal encounter with Jesus. Check this out. John chapter 20, verse 15. As she's standing there at the gravesite in this garden, weeping, Jesus approaches and says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. He said, Mary. He didn't give her a speech. He didn't preach a message. He didn't open up the Bible and start showing her all the places in the Bible that pointed to him. Jesus drew near. He was present, and he called her by name. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a piece of information for us to grapple with. We have a God who loves us and who is calling us by name. And the thing that can radically change your life forever is when you hear Jesus personally lean in close and say, Bob, Lou, Prior, Sarah, Bill. The power and simplicity of Jesus saying your name. He loves you. He knows where you are. He knew exactly where Lazarus was and called him forth. He saw exactly where Mary was in her sorrow, in her weeping, and he called her by name. And in this moment of realization, the minute that he says her name, this is her response she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It was this term of endearment that she would use when referencing him. She knew when he called her name, she knew. And I just have to tell you, Jesus loves you like that. I have found myself at places in my life. I remember growing up in the church and there were times where God felt so distant from me. I felt discouraged, like there just wasn't that sense of closeness or intimacy. I would even carry around the weight of feeling like I disappointed him. You know, I've grown up in church. I know the truth. And yet, man, I know the places in my heart that are far from him. I know the places where I just feel dry and distant. And I can remember seeing other people and they would, maybe they would sing out and worship with like a lot of passion. Or they would talk about Jesus and like, This smile would just come on their face when they would say his name. There was this familiarity they had with him. They would talk about having a relationship with God. They were talking about something real and personal and tangible, and it felt distant to me. But then I remember, personally, myself, as a 19-year-old kid, just taking out my Bible. I I wasn't hearing some preacher preach somewhere. I was alone in my room and I opened up my Bible. I just said, Jesus, if you're real, you got to show up. Will you talk to me? And I began to read his word and it was different than before. It came alive. It was like God was speaking right to my heart. That's what that looked like for me. I don't know what it may look like for you, but I just want you to know that God loves you. He sees you. He sees your condition He sees your sorrow, your depression, your anxiety. He sees your sin. He sees your hopelessness. He may even see just your apathy, but he sees where you are and he loves you and he is calling you by name. We don't have to make a decision for Jesus just based on information. We can make a decision for Jesus because he draws near and he calls us by name. My heart's desire is that this morning, if you haven't heard him call your name, you will. That you'll hear Jesus saying, I love you. I care about you. I rose again for you. And I'm offering you life forever, eternally with me. So Jesus rolls away the stone. Jesus calls us by name. And finally, number three, Jesus removes the grave clothes. I love this. When when Mary Magdalene had rushed off to find Jesus disciples out of the concern for where might he be as they come rushing up to the scene. You know it's John's gospel so according to him he beat Peter there. Maybe it was just one last little some bragging rights. He beat Peter there, but we also find out he's a little nervous. So he beats in there, he shows up at the scene and he doesn't go rushing into that tomb. He kind of just safely peeks in from the outside. Like I have to admit, I probably relate a little more to John there. He's just kind of peeking in. Okay, what's, what's going on in there? And it says he sees some grave clothes laying there. Well, Peter comes up, probably out of breath. You know, he's probably a little frustrated. John beat him. Based on some things I've read about Peter, I think that's probably pretty accurate. He's a little frustrated, John beat him. I can almost just see him sort of shoving John out of the way and rushing into the tomb. But Peter goes running in and this is what happens. John chapter 20, verse six. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. What do they see? They see Jesus' grave clothes and they're like all nice and neat. I mean, I love this. Can you just picture it? Easter morning. I don't know exactly what time of the morning it was, but it was dark still. And that stone rolls away. And there's Jesus just kind of calmly and quietly just getting those nasty grave clothes off, folding them up nice and neat, taking that wrap off of his head, setting it down, leaving it there as a sign that he's risen. He's risen. Somebody didn't steal his body. Who would take the time to do that? He rose. He took off the grave clothes and he left them sitting there. And Peter and John take note. Interesting, odd. Listen, Jesus does the same thing for Lazarus that he did for himself. At Lazarus' grave, after he calls him forth, in John chapter 11, verse 44, I mean, can you imagine the people gathered around thinking, this guy is nuts. This guy's crazy. He's just opened up a grave of a dead man and now he's calling him. Yeah, like something's really going to happen. I mean, can you imagine if like Twitter existed at this moment? How many pictures would be getting taken and tweeted out like right then and there? This is nuts. This guy's crazy. Crazy. He calls Lazarus to come forth. And in verse 44, it says, the man who had died came out, hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Guys, the beauty of the resurrection is not just that Jesus rolls back the stone and not just that he calls us by name but that he comes and does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Lazarus came out stuck, trapped, wrapped up in those old grave clothes. And Jesus said, hey, guess what? I know how to remove those. He said, loose him and let him go. Jesus invites us into a whole new life, into glorious freedom. The Bible tells us that he came to set the captives free. He came to give recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus is literally doing for Lazarus what he said he came to do. I mean, imagine this like mummified guy just kind of stumbling out. Loose him and let him go. Take off those old grave clothes. They're meant to stay in that grave. You are called forth to new life. The sad state of affairs is this all too often in the church, we're not participating with Jesus in helping people get off their old grave clothes. Notice Jesus doesn't take the clothes off himself. He invites other people to participate in the miracle. He said, hey, I'm calling him forth to new life. Now you guys get in there and help him out. Help him unravel. Get that wrap off of his head. I mean, think about this. He can't see. He cannot see clearly. His his eyes are covered. His ears are covered. God says, I want to set his mind free. I want his eyes to see clearly. I don't want him to walk around bound up and in chains. I want him to run free and enjoy the life I have for him. That's Jesus' heart for us. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts when we say yes to Jesus. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, that you might have it abundantly, a life that overflows. That's what Jesus has intended for us. And the reality is there are two things that wrap us up and bind us up. Our sin does. Listen, we have defined sin as freedom and it's the opposite. Sin puts us in chains. Sin locks us up. I've experienced sin in my life that I held onto for a long time. And at the start of it, it felt like this freeing, fun, exciting thing. And then that thing hangs around long enough and I begin to realize this isn't me choosing that. That thing owns me now. I'm stuck. But Jesus came to set us free. The scripture says from the sin that so easily entangles or besets us. He came to set us free of that. But you know the other thing that, that wraps us up and binds us up? It's, it's a legalistic, controlling, rules-following life instead of a life filled with the Spirit of God that is life and joy and peace. The Scripture tells us that life in God's Spirit, the life it produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a beautiful life that God invites us into. And the scripture says against those things, there's no law. I don't have to worry about following a law if I'm experiencing life in Jesus. But listen, as the church all too often, we either continue to heap guilt and shame on people for stuff Jesus has forgiven, or we invite people into life with Jesus and then immediately dump a bunch of rules on them and put them back in chains. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free from the weight of sin and he came to invite us in to a life with him that is exciting and it's alive. And when we become set free, as Jesus removes those grave clothes off of our life, you know what's really exciting and rewarding? To begin to participate in the miracle with Jesus in other people's lives. You wanna experience life to the full? Start hanging out with Jesus, hearing him calling other people to new life, him whispering other people's names and getting to be a part of helping unwrap those grave clothes and say, hey, this is how you run free. This is how you enjoy the life that Jesus had to offer. This is preparation for the eternal life we're going to spend with him in heaven. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. This is what Jesus has come to do. He rolls away the stone. There's nothing too gross. There's no hope too far gone that he can't reach. Jesus leans in close and he calls us by name. And then he doesn't just call us forth bound up and trapped. He calls us forth in order to set us free. I don't know what sin or shame or anxiety may look like in your heart and life, but I know that Jesus longs to speak into your life Loose them and let them free. Loose them and let them free. Let's participate in that church. Let's be a part of that. So what's the conclusion of the matter? I just want to read a couple things to you here. Before Jesus called Lazarus forth, he has an encounter with his sister Martha. And in John 11, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the point of the matter right there. Jesus brings each and every one of us to that point. The same thing he said to Martha, he would speak to every one of us. Do you believe this? This life is available to you. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Martha cries out, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Well, a few days later, Jesus has risen from the grave He's beginning to walk around and appear to people. And there's this guy named Thomas. Anybody ever heard of Doubting Thomas? Poor Doubting Thomas. He's struggling with this. I mean, I relate to Thomas. It's like, bro, give me the proof. Give me the evidence. Like, I got to see this. And so here's Thomas struggling and grappling with the reality of, is he really alive? Did he really rise from the grave? And I love that Jesus actually, he doesn't, get frustrated with Thomas and he doesn't go, oh, well, you don't believe tough luck. Jesus shows up and in John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side where he had been stabbed. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. And then Jesus said this. He begins to talk to Thomas about you. And he begins to talk to Thomas about me. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, in that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in Jesus Christ is available to every single one of us. He loves us. He's drawn near. He's not grossed out by you. He's He's not disgusted with you. He's not disappointed in you. And he hasn't given up on you. You might feel locked up, stuck, trapped, but he says, I can roll back that stone and set you free. Jesus says, hey, you may feel distant from me. You may feel the weight of your sin. You might feel guilt and shame and feel like God's judging you and disappointed in you and frustrated with you, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, he loves you. In fact, I came so he could declare how much he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believeth in him might be saved. I came so you could know God's love and now I'm calling you by name. And then finally, he's saying, I wanna set you free. I wanna take off those old grave clothes so you can learn to run, so you can learn to live in freedom from guilt and shame and sin and from the law. You can walk in newness of life with me. That's Jesus' invitation. And his question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, listen. I realize it's it's a beautiful morning, and we're going to celebrate Easter today with our family and with our friends. Um, I realize that we have an opportunity to, to sing some sweet songs and fellowship together. But I just have to tell you, if there's even a chance that there's somebody here who hasn't yet said yes to Jesus, we want to make that opportunity available. And so here's what we're going to do. Crystal and Alex and Caleb are going to come back up. In just a minute or two, we're going to partake in communion together. When we're doing that, you know, we're, we're eating the bread, we're drinking the juice. It's a picture, it's a representation of Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And Jesus said specifically that that blood was shed for the remission or payment of our sins. Jesus longs to forgive us and set us free. But the reality of the gospel is this. God does not force this life on any of us. God has given us the ability to choose. He's given us a free will. The gift is ready. It's there. It's available. And he offers life if we'll choose it. So we're not going to do some big, long, drawn out thing. I don't want to you know, crank the music up and try to manipulate people into coming forward and teary eyes. But I just want you to know, Jesus is awesome and he's real and he's alive and he loves you and he's offering new life. And the scripture simply tells us that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we're saved. It's a simple confession and declaration. When Jesus called people during his earthly ministry, he called them publicly because it's not an embarrassing thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's an incredible thing. And so I just want to encourage you. I realize to come forward and say yes to Jesus takes two things. It takes humility to stand up and say, I'm in need and to do it in front of people. I get that. But we're all humble before God. We're all in need. All fall short of God's glory but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's for everyone. Secondly, it takes courage to get up in front of people and come forward. But I just have to tell you, it doesn't actually take as much courage as you might think because you got a whole group of people that are gonna be excited and celebrating and cheering you on to new life in Jesus. So I'm just gonna hang out up here for, I don't know, a minute or so. Do we have maybe just a chorus or something that we can sing through? So we're going to sing through a chorus. I'll be up here. Man, I'd love to just take you by your hand, introduce you to Jesus, pray with you. And so if you'd like to say yes to him this morning, y'all come on up as they play. And then after we sing through a chorus or two, um, we'll all partake in communion together. Let me pray for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we love you. More importantly, firstly, we thank you that you love us. And Jesus, that you came and you died because of your great love, you stood in our place. You did what we couldn't do. Lazarus could not raise himself up from the grave. But not only did you raise again to new life, you invite all of us into that because you are the resurrection and the life. God, I pray for every one of my friends here this morning. God, for those of us who've known you and been walking with you, God, would you, just, would you invite us into some new places of freedom this morning? God, if there's some old places that have been locked up and hidden away that we need to invite you into, I thank you that you roll back the stone, that you call us by name and that you take off the grave clothes, the things that tangle us up, that lock us up, you set us free. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's, who's never met you, who's never heard you call them by name, God, that for the first time today, they would say yes to you. They would say yes to you, the risen Savior. We love you.